hunger, desire, safety, protection, privilege, power, glory, temptation. These themes sound like the plot points for a really good and entertaining television show. In fact, TV shows, including reality TV, have been built around these same themes. We hear these themes come up in the evening news and in conversations among news pundits. These subject matters are not only the latest in entertainment or news. Jesus encounters these same themes in today's scripture passage. How Jesus responds to these temptations teaches us how to respond when we are faced with similar temptations. And Jesus also teaches us how we may more fully live. If you were with us last week in worship, you will remember that Pastor Vance preached on the baptism of Jesus. Jesus was baptized in order to fulfill all righteousness. And we spent time talking about what that phrase, all righteousness, means. Jesus did not need to be baptized. Jesus was perfect and without sin. Jesus did not need to be cleansed of sin. Jesus did not need to repent and return to relationship with God. Jesus was already in relationship with God. Jesus was already one with God because Jesus is God. Jesus was baptized for us so that we might be included in the family of God. Jesus was baptized for us so that we could be cleansed of our sin and return to right relationship with God. When Jesus was baptized, a dove came down from heaven, symbolizing the spirit of God. This dove rested upon Jesus. A voice from heaven called out, this is my son whom I dearly love. I find happiness in him. Even before Jesus started his public ministry of preaching and healing, Jesus was working on our behalf, showing us what it means to live fully human lives. You see, baptism is our initiation into the church and into the life of Christian faith. Baptism leads the way for us to learn what is right, what is just, what is of God. We respond to baptism and God's grace at work by doing what is right, what is just, and what is of God. Baptism is a starting point for a life fully lived with God. Immediately after Jesus comes out of the Jordan River, the Spirit leads Jesus into the wilderness, where he fasts and prays for 40 days and 40 nights. This time of solitude, prayer, and fasting, this time in the wilderness, it's often been referred to as a time of preparation for Jesus to prepare for his public ministry. But I wonder, what if the spiritual disciplines of prayer, fasting, and solitude that Jesus practiced, what if that was ministry? You see, Jesus teaches us how to pray by praying. Jesus teaches us how to exercise self-control by 
practicing self-control himself. Jesus teaches us to trust God by relying on God for his every need. 40 days in the wilderness gave time for Jesus to be set apart from other people in order to commune with God. Jesus shows us how to connect with God. And perhaps Jesus going into the wilderness, praying and fasting for 40 days, perhaps these were also means for Jesus to fulfill all righteousness, just like in his baptism. But prayer and fasting, that's not all that happened in the wilderness. At the end of 40 days, Matthew 4 tells us that the tempter, or the devil, came to Jesus. Jesus is physically hungry. He is starving. He has not eaten in 40 days. Medical professionals and scientists would tell you that humans cannot function very long without food. Hunger and starvation, they affect our bodily functions, but they also affect our mood. They affect our mental processing. I often say that I get hangry or angry because I'm hungry. And this just shows that being hangry, it's a thing. We are physically, emotionally, and mentally weaker without food. The tempter comes to Jesus when he is weak and vulnerable. First, the tempter says, since you are God's son, command these stones to become bread. The tempter entices Jesus with food. The tempter latches on to Jesus's physical hunger, this physical weakness. But wait, does that sound familiar? Can you think of any other place in the Bible where people are tempted with food? If you guessed Adam and Eve, you would be right. Back in Genesis 3, God gives Adam and Eve the Garden of Eden and says, all of the food in the Garden of Eden is available to you except for the fruit on the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If the people eat from this fruit, they will die. The tempter comes in the form of a snake and says to them, you won't die. God knows that on the day that you eat this fruit, you will see clearly and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. For Adam and Eve, the temptation was both their physical hunger as well as their desire for more. They were hungry, and that fruit did look mighty tasty. And yet they also wanted more. They saw God, and they saw that they were not God, that there was some sort of distance or separation, distinction between themselves and God. They desired to be God. So they turned away from God's instruction to them. They chose themselves and their desires over obedience to God's word. We often call this episode with Adam and Eve, the fall. Human beings fell away from right relationship with God. Sin entered the picture. Creation fell from its original perfection. We still live with the consequences of the fall even to this day. But back to Jesus. When Jesus is tempted to satisfy his physical hunger, Jesus rejects it. Jesus replies with scripture from Deuteronomy, 
People won't live only by bread, but by every word spoken by God. Where Adam and Eve fell by turning away from God's word, Jesus resists temptation by knowing and doing God's word. Adam and Eve fell because they wanted to be God. Jesus is the son of God. Jesus is God, and yet he resists the temptation to prove it, to show off his divinity by performing a miracle of turning stones into bread. He rejects this miracle because it would only feed him, serve his physical needs, perhaps serve his own ego. In this first temptation, we see Jesus as the new Adam. Where Adam failed, Jesus does not. So next, the tempter brings Jesus to the highest point in, of the temple in Jerusalem. The tempter says, since you are God's son, throw yourself down, for it is written, God will command his angels concerning you, and they will take you up in their hands so that you won't hit your foot on a stone. The tempter quotes from the Psalms and appeals to Jesus's privilege as the son of God. The tempter gives Jesus the opportunity to show off, to show off how God will use the heavenly host to keep Jesus safe. Yet Jesus refuses to give in to this temptation. Jesus sees no need to test whether or not God will intervene on his behalf and save him from certain death. He quotes from God's instructions in Deuteronomy saying, again, it is written, don't test the Lord your God. Jesus trusts God, yet Jesus also uses God-given reason and wisdom to not put himself in an unsafe situation. With this temptation, we see that Jesus does not privilege himself for his own divinity. He embraces his humanity and his divinity. Jesus humbly embodies what is later said or sung of him in the Christ hymn found in Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 8. Though he was in the form of God, he did not consider being equal with God something to exploit or test. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a slave and by becoming like human beings. When he found himself in the form of a human, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Just a few years after this temptation, Jesus will once again find himself in a high place as he's lifted up on a cross. Mockers will call out to him coaxing, save yourself. If you are God's son, come down from the cross. Jesus does not give in to their mocking. Jesus does not come down from the cross. The chief priests, legal experts, and elders will call out to Jesus. He trusts in God, so let God deliver him now if God wants to. Jesus does not test God, does not show off his divinity or a special connection to God. Jesus does not come down from the cross. In this second temptation, we see already that Jesus embraces both his humanity and his divinity for us, 
and for our salvation. Finally, the tempter brings Jesus to the top of a high mountain, showing Jesus all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. The tempter promises, I'll give you all these if you bow down and worship me. The tempter offers Jesus earthly renown and glory. Here, the tempter does not refer to Jesus as the son of God. The tempter focuses on Jesus's humanity, kind of calls out to Jesus's human ego and offers Jesus power that he could have in that very moment. Jesus dismisses this temptation outright, telling the tempter, go away, Satan, because it's written, you will worship the Lord your God and serve only him. God is the only being worthy of worship. Jesus will not worship anything that is not God. Jesus renounces any and all idolatry. Jesus does not fall for temporary glory or power. Jesus keeps his eyes focused on the kingdom of heaven or the reign of God that he is called to announce. Jesus knows that God's eternal kingdom looks very different from the kingdoms of this world. You see, in God's kingdom, the last will be first and the first will be last. In God's kingdom, God's will will be done on earth just as it is in heaven. In this third temptation, Jesus does what is righteous. Jesus obeys the first two commandments. Jesus worships only the Lord God and does not make any idols to put in the place of God. You and I in our lives, we face temptations. We long to fill hungers within. We will do anything and try everything in order to satisfy ourselves, our needs, and our wants. We desire to be God and we act as if we are in control. We crave safety, protection, and certainty. We cling to our privilege and we wield our privilege to our own advantage. We covet power. We want glory and praise. We see this happening in the world around us. Political leaders are doing all they can to hold on to control, privilege, and power to the detriment of themselves, other people, and nations. Giving into temptation harms ourselves and harms other people. So how are we as people of faith invited to respond to temptation? We are imperfect human beings. We are not God. So are we doomed to give into temptation when, not if, but when we are tempted? Friends, there is good news. Because Jesus resisted temptation, we have Jesus as our model for how we too can resist temptation. We can look back over these three temptations of Jesus and see how he responded and do so likewise. Because Jesus resisted temptation for us, we are empowered by his spirit to resist temptation and to do all that is right, all that is just, and all that is of God. God's spirit gives us agency to oppose that which tempts us.
I'm reminded of the questions that United Methodists ask when people renounce sin and profess faith in Christ. And this happens prior to baptism, confirmation, and people joining the church. If you are a member of First Church or a member of a United Methodist Church, you answered these questions for yourself. If uh, you've ever presented a child for baptism, you've answered these questions. But you perhaps have not thought of these questions outside of the worship service. So I invite you to reflect on these questions. Do you renounce the spiritual forces of wickedness, reject the evil powers of this world, and repent of your sin? Do you accept the freedom and power God gives you to resist evil, injustice, and oppression in whatever forms they present themselves? And do you confess Jesus Christ as your Savior, put your whole trust in his grace, and promise to serve him as your Lord in union with the church which Christ has opened to people of all ages, nations, and races? I know these questions do not specifically name the word temptation, but friends, we're often tempted by sin. We're tempted by power and privilege, which often leads to injustice and oppression. I wonder, what would it look like for us to consider these questions when we find ourselves tempted? What would it look like to remember our baptism? To remember how God's spirit empowers us to live as members of the family of God? What would it look like to ask ourselves, do you know what is tempting you? And do you reject that temptation? Do you accept God's freedom, power, and help to resist temptation, however it appears? Do you trust Jesus Christ to be with you, to empower you, and to save you? How can saying no to this temptation enable you to better serve Jesus Christ in the world? How could saying no to this temptation better connect you with other people that you could serve? Resisting temptation enables us to more fully commune with God. Resisting temptation allows us to live, to more fully live what is right what is just, and what is of God. Amen.